Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 19. Chapter 19, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He just finishes uh, converting Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree, if you remember that. And he got saved and he gave a bunch of money back to people that he stole. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, and as the, his disciples and others look at what is happening, they believe at this time that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to enter the temple, he's going to expose himself as God, wipe out the Romans, and set up the kingdom of God on earth. They believed that This was going to happen in their lifetimes while Jesus walked the earth. And so Jesus, uh, as it says, because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, he tells them this parable. And the parable is about a nobleman who goes away leaving people in charge, workers, slaves, servants. He says, I'm going to go away. When I come back, I want to see what you've done. He gives them resources to manage while he is away. He comes back. One of them does great. One of them does okay, but pretty good. And the other one hides it, buries it, puts it in a handkerchief. And they are judged according to the results of how they worked or did business With the resources, this idea or theme of a person going away, leaving people behind, and then coming back and seeing how they did and judging them accordingly is a theme throughout the New Testament. This parable, in its essence, also appears in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Now, the setting is different. The audience is different. The number of slaves and servants is different. And the value of what is left for them to work is different. But it's the same idea. Somebody leaves, you do work, comes back, judges the work. And so if we, if we look at this one, it has a word called mina, M-I-N-A. This is the only place in the whole Bible where that word appears. You say, well, what is it? Well, people who have studied Uh, Roman architecture and found Roman coins and Roman writings. It is a, uh, if you worked a day in Rome and you were a day laborer, you would get a denarii or a drachma. Those are the two coins that were given for one day's worth of work. If you work a hundred days, you can trade in those hundred coins for a mina and it helps you to walk around. It's a hundred days worth of work Jesus doesn't explain why he uses this. The idea is maybe there were Romans or Roman day laborers in the audience and he wanted to use a value of money 
that they could lust after, that they could, oh yeah, hundred, oh yeah, good. And so he's using a value of money that they would hold dear, while in the book of Matthew, it is a talent, which is a weight of silver. And so it's a slightly different thing, but it's the same idea. And so if we look at this, in the parable, it says there's a nobleman. And who is the nobleman? Well, the nobleman is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who came. He gained followers. He trained the followers. Then he said, I'm going away. Who are the citizens that hated this king, this nobleman? They are the unsaved people. They are the people who rejected Christ. There was a large segment of the leadership who rejected Christ while he walked the earth. And there's a large segment of people today and have been for the last 2,000 years who make it their, their life's goal to fight Jesus, to defame Jesus. And we see that all over the place today and we see a group like us who think Jesus is great and we need to follow him. Who are the slaves entrusted with the kingdom business? Well, that is us, but it's not only us, it is actually everybody. When Jesus left and ascended into heaven, he didn't just ignore the whole world and give to those 120 what he wanted, the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is God over everything. God is God over the whole universe. If it is created, God made it. And so he is king over the whole world. And so this can be seen as Jesus leaving everybody behind, the believers and the unbelievers, and say, do some work till I come back. Now the believers, your, your disciples who were taught by Jesus, they had a basic understanding of what it was supposed to be, of what it's supposed to do. But your unsaved people, your Annas and uh, your Caiaphas, the high priest, and, and those on the Sanhedrin that were against Jesus, they didn't understand and don't care that God had left work for them to do. But yet when Jesus Christ comes back, the whole world, every individual who has ever lived, will stand before him and he will ask something along the lines of the question of what have you done while I was away? Now hopefully those who believe in Jesus Christ will, will make some sort of statement of look I took your one mina and I turned it into ten and however that was done, whether through planting or investing or whatever we do not know, but we can make some sort of statement that we, we did proper business. We actually did stuff that God wanted us to do while he was away. While there are others who do not care about God, they will finally meet God for the first time for many of them at the final judgment. And he will ask them, what have you done for me? And they will say, nothing. I buried it in a handkerchief. And so people who look at this say that of the three people, two are saved and one is unsaved. Two of them did what God wanted them to do in varying degrees and one did not because they did not believe God was going to do anything to them when they came back. Now some people may say, well, 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 well. I 
have great ideas. And with these great ideas, I invent things. And with my inventions, I make money. And therefore, I am a very rich person, I am a very well-known person, and nowhere along the line was I involved with God, did I ask God for anything, or did God intervene in any way. It was all me. There are people who say, I have great strength, and I can do things with my hands. And if you question them, they would say, God has nothing to do with this. I have my own strength, whether through evolution or training or whatever they claim, they are at a point where they are fairly strong and skilled and have talents, and God never comes to mind. I have met people and talked with people back when I worked in tech, just kind of curious. I would ask people when they would tell stories about themselves, I would say, how was God involved in that? Or did you give God a second thought? And most people back in that time, in the 90s and such, um, back then we weren't so offended when people said, do you believe in God? Okay, things have kind of changed these days. But they were willing to say, oh, I, I, I you know, went to church when I was a kid, but I haven't thought about God in decades. And yet they are building things and having a great job and writing software and raising a family. And they say God is not involved. And if you were to quiz them and look at their day, you would see that God, there's no prayers offered, there's no Bible read, that God is not involved. And the question is, can we segment our lives? and say, this part over here is my own skill, and my own strength, and my own IQ, and this is stuff that I'm doing because it's me. This stuff over here, God's involved in, my spiritual aspect, my, my seeking for a better future, my prayers, these things God's involved in, but these things over here, that's mine. God knows we think this way. And so he's talking with the Jewish people in the book of Deuteronomy. If you remember when the book of Deuteronomy was written, God sends Moses, gets the people out of Egypt. They go in, they don't want the promised land, so he wanders them around for 40 days, 40 years. And they are now at the point in the book of Deuteronomy where the promised land is right across the Jordan. All that have fought God have died over those 40 years. And it is a new group of people. And because it is a new group of people who weren't there at Mount Sinai when the law was given, Moses is given the book of Deuteronomy to explain and recount everything that has happened for the new generation. And in the first part of Deuteronomy, around chapters 7, 8, and 9, God is talking through Moses saying, I'm going to bring you into a promised land. You are going to live in houses you did not build. You are going to eat crops you did not plant. 
You are going to have herds that you did not start. In other words, you are going to come into resources and blessings that are already going. You do not have to start from scratch. You wipe out the inhabitants, you take what they had and continue the economy. And in Deuteronomy 8 and 17, it says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. He says, when you get into the land, don't say, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Now, if you read the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, they are going and they, you know, take 45,000 fighting men and they go and they attack a city. And it doesn't say in, Dude, uh, in Joshua, in every battle, that God wiped out the other people for them. It seems to be they have an army, they're fighting against an army, their army's better, and they beat them, and they take their city. And that is what the book of Joshua is about, claiming the promised land through warfare. And God is saying in Deuteronomy, when you're all done with this, and you get your house, and you have your crops, and you have your herds, and you have your wife, and you have your kids, do not sit back and say, man, I sure did a good job. It is because of my might and my hand that I got all this. God says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to the fathers as it is this day. So everything that we do, we look at our lives and we say, well, I did the work. I went and I planted the garden. I went and I got a job so that I could afford this car. I went and I invested in this over here so that I could get this nice thing over here. And we can look at our lives and realize truthfully that we did all the work, that we are the ones who showed up and wrote the check and went to the store and went online and did these things. We don't just sit in our room with a hood over our head and God's doing everything for us. That isn't how we built the system. They had to fight the battles. They had to make sure their sword was sharp. They had to make sure that there was enough arrows in their quiver. They had to run at the enemy and show up for the fight. And God is saying, when it's all said and done and you have your reward, do not think that you did it by your strength for every step of the way. God gave you the strength and the talent and the skills and the IQ, and the location, and the desire, and the plans to pull it off. A unspiritual observer might look at the life of a Christian and say, I don't see God. And I've had people tell me that. They don't see God. They don't see God in anything. Everything seems to be very natural. Everything seems to be very human as it is put together. But when we take the Bible 
and use it as a filter of our lives. We look through what happened and we look at the Bible to what it says about what happened in our life. Throughout Scripture, it is said that it is God who gives direction. It is God who opens doors. It is God who gives strength. You have a great idea that makes you a million dollars. God gave you that idea. And if you're saved, he may give you that idea and a million bucks to bless you. If you are unsaved, he may give you that idea and a million bucks to test you and to show you who God is. Now, some people who are unsaved and blessed like that come to Christ. I have heard stories. I have read books about people through great blessing. They were able to recognize who God is, while others see the blessing as their own work and that it pushes them further away from God, and that's why it is a test. And so we, we have to look at our lives and say, what am I doing and where is God involved in it? If you think for a moment about all that, you, all that happened to you, you, got, you, you, you walked here, you got in a car and came here. When you got here, the lights were on and the heat was on and all these things to make it a tad more comfortable for you. While you're here and you can just think in your mind, well, these things just happened. Nobody turned the lights on. Nobody turned the heat on. Nobody unlocked the doors. These things just happened. But logically, you would think, ah, well, somebody got here before you and unlocked the doors and turned the heat on. And if we look at everything in our life that way, nothing in our life just happens. Nothing in our life is a random event. And I will say, saved or unsaved, it's very easy to get into the pattern of thinking that God is very involved in the life of a Christian, but that unsaved person over there, God's just letting them do whatever until he comes to them. God is very involved in everybody's life on this planet. Saved, unsaved, rich, poor, American or not, wherever you are at, God is very involved in the life of a Christian. God's work is to make us more Christ-like, to sanctify us, to make us holy. In the life of an unchristian, God has one point, and that point is to get them saved. And once they are saved, then he will begin sanctifying. And so God is putting in the life and path of an unsaved person, all sorts of ideas and clues and facts and thoughts and ideas. And if they just say, I did this, I'm my own. God does nothing for me. Then they will, when Jesus Christ comes back, be judged for that in multiple passages. The idea of Jesus Christ coming back and every person living or dead, 
In the book of Revelation, it says, the sea will give up their dead. So all those ships that have sank throughout the millennia that people have died in the sea, God's going to find them, God's going to resurrect them, and they're going to stand before him and be judged for how they have lived, how they have done, what they have done with what God has left them. And so what can we do? There is a sense in Paul's letter that he wants us to self-examine. He wants us to look in the spiritual mirror and say, how am I doing? Now his view is, how am I living for Christ? Am I going astray? Am I keeping this from Christ? Or am I fully living for Christ? That is the sort of self-examination that Paul wants. But I think we need to do an inventory. Uh, if you're looking for work, one thing they may throw at you is a skills inventory. What can you do? And that way, if you match what the company's looking for, then they'll hire you based on your skills. We can do a skills inventory. We can do a possessions inventory. We can do a bank account inventory. For the purpose of saying, have I praised God every step of the way for my job, for my income, for my housing, for my car, for whatever, do I regularly look at, I did this because God gave me strength. I am really nothing compared to God. And we can look at our job, our skills, our talents, our IQ, our bank accounts, our investments, our house or housing, our car or transportation, we can look at it and praise God for Him to bring that into our lives. And in doing so, turn these things over to God so that we can begin to go to work for God's glory, go to work to glorify Christ. It may not change the world around you, but it's part of the sanctifying to make sure the Bible is clear, Jesus was here once, he left something behind in the way of teaching and the way of scripture and the Holy Spirit, and he's gone away. We know that he's at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, out there somewhere, and he's coming back. He's not going to stay there forever. He is going to come back, and when he comes back, he's going to be very interested in how you have worked the stuff that he has left behind, how you have taken what he has left and what you have turned it into. Now, in this passage, people are giving cities as a, as a reward. I do not know what sort of heavenly reward there will be. The, the person who turned one into ten was given ten cities. The person who was given one and turned it into five is also praised. The nobleman did not curse the one who only had five. And I think this shows that no matter what God is doing, we all have different abilities, different strengths. We are all different people. There is the idea in society that you need to 
find yourself, you need to figure out who you are, I can tell you for certainty that every person that God has created is unique in his creation. God does not have a copy machine and create one person and then put them in the slot and 20 more comes out. Each is an individual creation of him and he knows what we're capable of. He knows how he has gifted us. He knows what he has done. We do not have to be something that we're not. We just have to fully be what we are in the presence of God. And in doing so, you produce a little. Somebody over here produces a lot. We are not jealous. We do not covet. We are not envious of them. We are all serving God. Some seem to have more something or other than somebody else. Some seems to have more strength or IQ than somebody else. We are all on the same team if you are a believer in God for Christ. And so we work and we do what God wants us and we're in the Bible and we see what that is. And as Paul wrote, we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. I think today, perhaps more than any other time, the days are truly evil. And we need to work. We need to take what God has given us and grow it and build it for Him, for God, so that when He comes back, He will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I just thank you for this day. I just thank you that none of us are giftless, that none of us can say, well, you didn't leave me anything, that all of us have something that we can do for you. All of us have something that we can live for you. All of us have something that we can hand over to you at the end of time. Lord, I pray that you would Give us insight into that and show us how to better work what you have left behind. Lord, we thank you for all of these things and we ask your blessing upon this time. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.